You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double-Edged Devil Bill. This week, the cat in the hat knows Pangton 2 is all that. Each week, Adam, Thomas, and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Thomas Mariani, with this conspicuous hat. And I am Adam Thomas, and I hate that hat and everything it represents. <laughs> That's fair. That's completely fair. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're not the only ones here, Adam, because uh, we have a guest who's new to the show. It is Emily Slade, who is host of the Why This Film podcast. Emily, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Doing good, doing good. We well, obviously invited you on, and uh, we gave you a list of topics and decided on family films. Why that in particular? It sort of links in with my brand, as it were. I look back on uh, movies from your childhood on my own podcast so I'm quite accustomed to family films films aimed at children and I was excited to see what you guys pulled out of the hat quite literally uh, you did go for that hat and oh boy did I have to finally sit down and watch that movie yeah sorry <laughs> that, was, that was my call on that one it's been a recurring trend on your podcast I noticed um but we always wanted to kind of do this especially to cover sort of live action family films specifically because we've covered plenty of animation and uh, live-action films, though, are a lot more ubiquitous and a lot more uneven, maybe, to say the least. Maybe less uneven than not quite just working at all. Yeah, I think they're a bigger gamble, and as such, they sometimes have a bigger and better payoff, and sometimes they really, really don't. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I, I 100% agree. Uh, animation is a lot easier to take, because uh, at least, you know, if the movie sucks, and but it's animated well, at least it's pretty to look at or entertaining just to watch mm-hmm. it on an artistic level where the live action falls flat or fails it's it's painful we did rv you know for a couple episodes ago and that's that's a shining example of just a piss poor family film and mm-hmm. i'd argue that the bad choice tonight is maybe the one of the worst examples of a family film well and you can say this with authority i'm considering you are a father as we've talked about previously on the show <laughs> And I'm uh-huh. sure you've endured plenty of terrible family films and good ones even as well. Discovered a few with your kids. Oh, sure. Uh, but, you know, I don't trust her opinion at all. She sat there and laughed at Cat in the Hat today, like all oh, the whole movie. My daughter's opinion is is worthless. I mean, How she old is, is she? She's only four. But still, I don't know. Right. Not, I, I can't, you know, like if she starts a blog or something, I'm not reading it. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> You read to kick her right out of the house right after the movie stopped. How <laughs> dare you laugh at the burping cat? It's interesting. I, I mentioned to a few of my friends that I was doing this, and um, without giving anything away, I sort of hinted to them how I felt about it, having watched it for the first time ever. And they all shouted at me, saying that it was a gem of cinema and that I don't know what I'm talking about. So that... that it has fans out there. There are people that have a nostalgic attachment to this film and, and find it baffling in a good way, like so bad it's good type thing. 
We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, because uh, we are covering uh, Cat in the Hat was the choice Adam picked at the end of our last episode, where we picked a random good and bad feature for the double feature of this episode. We had Cat in the Hat, the Mike Myers vehicle, uh, which we'll talk about first, and then I had my good pick of Paddington 2, which I think we're going to talk about as well, how weirdly these are both like the sort of um, good and bad version of a very similar premise, really, when you think about it. Like, the... Mm. Central mm-hmm. title characters are the sort of, like, opposites of each other. <laughs> but let's get into first, I guess, the, the bad side of that coin, depending on where you sit on that. Uh, Cat in the Hat. This holiday season... What was that? Universal Pictures invite you to the ultimate house party. Let's get this party started! <laughs> From Ryan Grazer, the producer of The Grinch, Mike Myers, The Cat in the Hat. Homina, 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 who is this? <laughs> That's my mom. Awkward. Fuck. So, Cat in the Hat uh, came out November 21st, 2003. Um, it was, of course, based on the Dr. Seuss book uh, that I'm sure many of us read when we were children. Um, and is uh, the second and last live-action adaptation of a Dr. Seuss book, given uh, this <laughs> mainly exists because the uh, Ron Howard Grinch movie starring Jim Carrey came out in 2000 and was a massive success. Like, one of the mm-hmm. biggest, most successful holiday movies, especially of, like, this century. It's mm-hmm. still so mind-blowing. I think that's still Jim Carrey's, like, highest-grossing movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so this one uh, ended up being directed by Bo Welsh, who, uh, this is his directorial debut and he was a production designer for, before this, worked on a lot of Tim Burton movies, like Edward Scissorhands and the second Batman movie. And you can tell this is a very production design heavy movie. It's the only good thing. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's that's true, I would guess, in terms of, like, it's the thing that most people poured their detail and attention into, as opposed to just, like, yeah, everything else. Yeah, the story or script. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Make it look beautiful. And they do, to their credit. So I can tell, Emily, you're a big fan. Why don't you go ahead? What you're, <laughs> since you said you saw this for the first time, your thoughts on Ken? <laughs> I, like, purposefully avoided this movie for so long because I just don't watch bad movies if I can possibly help it because they just make me angry. And I was excited to sit down and watch this because I was like, what if it's secretly good? What if it is, like, a, a hidden gem of, like, a bad cinema? And it opened with this gorgeous narration. And Dr. Seuss isn't very big over here in the UK. Um, we don't... The, mo- the most we know of it is the Ron Howard Grinch movie. Uh, we're not really brought up on the books in the same way that you guys are. So uh, to have the opening narration be quite Dr. Seussical and... Um, immediately you've got this world that's been created and the the aesthetic of it and the costumes and the way people carry themselves and the sort of 1950s-ness of it. I was like, this is a delight for my eyes and my ears and I worry that this is going to be the best part of the movie. And it was. Um, It peaks at the opening and it's like it goes out of its way to not be funny. It's like trying to not work as a movie or like everyone is phoning in their performances. Everyone is like, like what was his choice? Like what, 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 what was he (laughs) thinking when like everything about he looks uncomfortable in the suit in a way that Jim Carrey was able to become the Grinch despite the horrific, um, painful makeup and costume. 
he looks like he's just zipped on a onesie and he's like this sucks but oh well i like the constant callbacks to the sort of danger and the the contract that he has with these children it just like the sort of cowardly lion muttly laugh that he has that then he he doesn't he's not a character he's mike myers dicking about in a stupid costume going from stupid costume to stupid costume and it baffles me that no one has a consistent character no one has a character arc why do i care about any of these people they may as well be animated. They're just bouncing around on the screen in front of me, being sometimes racially stereotypical, sometimes ghastly, sometimes just... I just... I was just... I was like, who let this happen? I am so glad that it was on Netflix and that I didn't have to pay £2.50 to rent it off YouTube. Do you know what I mean? No, no, I mean, you summed up the whole movie. I don't know if we have to keep going with the movie. That's, that's pretty much... <laughs> Just that's, pretty accurate. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. It's pretty, pretty dead on. It's pretty astute, yeah. But I kind of agree with you in terms of, I think, the intro of the movie. Because I haven't seen this since the theater. I was a kid when this came out. Ooh, I actually you saw this theater i did i because well because i remember especially with the the jim carrey grinch i remember i was like one of the few people who didn't see that in the theater i guess because i was terrified of that makeup when i saw Same. it in the i didn't yeah. go and see it Thank because you. i was yes. scared and yeah, then i, I saw the cat in the hat advertised and even as a child i was like that looks like a bad movie i'm not going to see Right, right. I didn't end up seeing it until, like, about the next year at Christmas time. So I went to, because, like, I was determined, like, I'm not going to miss out on this. All all the kids were in love with fucking Grinch. I can't miss the new Dr. Seuss vehicle like this whatsoever. And I just remember kind of being confused by it, because especially even this is also peak sort of Mike Myers, like, after Austin Powers, after Shrek. Um, to the point <laughs> where they literally have a fucking Smash Mouth song in this movie. Worst of all, a Beatles cover. They do a fucking Beatles cover at the end of this movie. You know, I was just really confused by it. And then going back to it here, the, the the intro honestly kind of caught me off guard. Because I'm like, okay, there's some funny things in here. I think particularly Alec Baldwin in the intro. I was like, oh, okay, this is like pre-30 Rock. Uh, like, he's a right about to like go into like that sort of era of his career. So it kind of feels like he's almost prepping for it. And the, the casting in general, apart from Mike Myers isn't terrible i think uh, is it w- one of the small fannings that plays the little girl Dakota. and she's she's really watchable like she's genuinely a great little child actor like she's very charismatic i really uh, was on board with her character which is why it frustrated the fucking hell out of me when 20 minutes later the cat appears and she's like oh you know that character that i was really intensely setting up as like a thing that i had it's gone now, I guess, and I don't care about my values that I've just been setting up and establishing for 20 minutes anymore. And I was like, why do I care? <laughs> right, her and Spencer Breslin, who plays the brother. I fucking hate that kid, by the way. I can't stand that fucking kid. That that fucking kid, he is, he, he dude, fuck that kid. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he's not a good actor. He never was a good kid actor, and he just, he's... He, I don't know, man. That, that kid bothers me a lot. He's dead behind the eyes. Yeah, it is. That's he's a bit. It's like a fucking scary haunted doll just walking <laughs> around who just has never taken acting lessons. It's just, it's terrifying. And, and you know, the Mike Myers thing, I, I think they just let him do whatever the fuck he wants, and it shows how one note Mike Myers can really be. Yeah. Uh, 
the accent he's doing is just the Linda Richmond from Coffee Talk accent from old SNL skits. It's the same fucking voice. No different. The looks he's doing, I it, there's so many different looks and movements he does where it's Dr. Evil. And what is the dirty hoe joke about? Oh, my God. What the fuck are they doing throwing that in this movie? I don't mind having some either sexual innuendo because, like, you know, Shrek has a shit ton of sexual innuendo and and like all of that kind of relevance to to adult genitalia in it all the time but for some reason it's charming and funny well um, but shrek is an original story it's original you know well it's based so on a book play. right but it's not a beloved book like the cat in the hat you know everybody knows cat in the hat like like i said at least here uh, as you what, yeah, what is the story of the Cat in the Hat? Is it what I watched, or is it better? Is it more simple? Did they stretch it out? No, oh, they stretched I, I it out. I assume they had to shove a lot of junk in. But oh, it's at just least a make the junk pass. original. I mean, that's that's the big trouble. Is that like with uh, the Doctor Seuss books in general? They're about like ten pages, maybe long at most. Mm. Ten to ten to thirty, yeah, ten to thirty pages. Well, and even the thirty-page ones are usually like, oh, hey, here's like two other stories that he threw right. in along with it, right? And it's just basically in the Cat in the Hat storybook, it's just like the kids are bored, their mom's away, and then the cat comes in and causes chaos. And then right. he leaves, and they're like, oh, no, our house is messed up. And then he comes back and fixes the house, and the mom's like, did you do anything interesting? Maybe we did. And that's it. That's, like, the whole that's book. The book. Oh, okay. So I get it. I get. I assume as well that the Grinch had to be expanded. And, my God, there's a fucking swingers party reference in the Grinch. Like, if you <laughs> want to talk about sexual innuendo, and, and that's probably where they got it. They saw the success of the Grinch. They saw that it was able mm-hmm. to have Jim Carrey riffing and sexual jokes, adult humor, and they were able to have all of this mixture of stuff whilst also being a successful family movie it helped that it's a festive movie i think because then it hinges it on something that's watchable and they tried to imitate that but they cast the wrong person who chose the wrong jokes and they didn't have a good enough story there wasn't enough of an investment there was no christina baranski there was no like they just did a carbon copy of what had previously worked but they just did it wrong it's like you know when it's like can i copy your work yeah but make some changes so it doesn't look the same like if if anything it's just not funny i've got very few notes here and one of them is just more than anything i'm bored Mm -hmm. i I agree with you i don't find it insulting because it's a sexual joke i find it insulting because it's not funny i mean it's just none of it's funny Mm -hmm. To your point about them just basically trying to remake the grinch i mean to the point of the look at the pot belly costume that's covered in fur to the thing one and thing two just have who makeup on from the Grinch. Oh I mean, my yeah. god, they're, right? They're and and by the way, those things are fucking terrifying. But yes. it's just and eyes or what? Oh, just horrible. They're horrible. Uh, and like they were, they were at least trying to be funny. Even though I was like, God, I hate this, and they're so annoying. At the same time, I was looking at them, and I was like, like I feel like you're on the verge of doing something funny. Because you've got this little setup going where, like, you have the potential to be more funny than anything else. It never quite happens. Right. I think it's because they have the energy of, like, because they're actual children performers. I was going to say, they're the only two mm. characters in the movie who have any kind of energy behind their performance. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah, they're two l- yeah. young actresses that are, like, I think they're, like, they were, like, gymnasts or something. You can kind of tell they have that kind of energy of, like, performer kids. Which is at least more than, like, a Mike Myers who, as you mentioned, feels very checked out. Like, even when they have mm-hmm. big, elaborate, like, uh, sketch bits. Like, there's that whole sketch bit with the kitchen thing that's, like, the infomercial that goes oh. on forever. That goes on for fucking ever with, like, the guy in the sweater and he, the other one's making the cupcake thing. 
and he's basically kidnapped the children. Like, that's what I feel about Spencer Breslin and Dakota Fanning are, like, a literal captive audience for the cat this whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, they are against their mm-hmm. will to fucking, Against like, a sociopath, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, he totally is. He's a psychopath. There's there's a reason why there's so many, like, a YouTube, like, recuts of this as, like, a horror trailer. Yep. Yeah. And they're fantastic. The whole shtick with the Grinch was that he's the fucking Grinch. It's there in his name. But the cat in the hat is meant to be whimsical and fun. And if you just want to make him a grumpy, child-hating Grinch, why did you choose the cat in the hat? Why didn't you choose the Lorax or something that had a more justifiably grouchy character in it? Like, I just, I don't even know Dr. Zeus. Like, but I know that the cat in the hat's meant to be, like, witty and smart, right? And, like, fun to be around. And teaches you manners through his shenanigans. Teaches you morals, kind of, through his crazy shenanigans. Yeah, Yeah, why the fuck does he keep pulling out a contract and being like, I hate children, you're not learning anything, like, I'm just gonna do my thing, I hope that you die. Like, you're just like, what? What? (laughs) What? He's very much like a chaotic good in dr seuss books where he like tries to teach you all these manners and things but he also has like no real control at the same time he's mm-hmm. a very sort of like silly wild abandoned character and they took mm. that sort of that wild abandoned but forgot about the good part of it yeah and it's so important because it just makes him unlikable oh incredibly unlikable he's an incredibly mean-spirited character like anytime he makes any jokes they're incredibly awful mean-spirited jokes against the kids mm-hmm. against anything that's going on around them he's an asshole and he just has like especially there's that whole weird i hate whenever they try to inject plot into this movie too the few moments where it's just like oh we have to get the lock for the box and it's like this is so lazy and then later on like oh i lost my hat my magic hat, but I have it back at the end of the movie anyway. Because oh my everybody. god, that can suck my dick. That whole thing can suck my fucking dick. I was like, what is this? <laughs> what the fuck? Why are you wasting my time? These children didn't need to learn any. One child was meant to be going on a journey. You've somehow managed to suck in the one character that I was willing to engage with and just turn her into a foil for her brother to learn a lesson. Who I don't get. Send the fucking kid to military school. I don't give a shit. Why are we having this gross-out humor with Alec Baldwin? Why do I care about any of these? Why is the mom so stupid? Why is there a racist stereotype coming into babies there? Ah! Emily, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry we did this to you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, no, it's... That's... <laughs> That's all appropriate. I, I got to be honest. It, it's completely soulless, this whole movie. Yeah. Uh, clearly, they were riding, like we already said, on riding on the success of The Grinch. And like, well, if people love that one so much, if we even make half of what that one made, we'll be fine. So let's not really try. Just find someone out there with a passion for the fucking Dr. Zeus books and put them as like showrunner. Very easy. Very just easy to do. Take two seconds to give a right. slight shit to put someone who does give a shit in charge. So then... This thing doesn't get massacred. I don't even know who the cat in the hat is, but I feel sorry for any child that grew up with it. And then I feel sorry for all the kids that are subjected to it. And because it's pretty and the timing is just slightly accurate when the things get bonked on the head, that four-year-olds will be like, ha-ha, the silly cat got hit in the tail. And you're like, you're better than this, four-year-old. This is something I harp on a lot whenever we do cover a family film, is like the bad ones like to talk down to kids. The bad Mm -hmm. ones really are just like, you are a complete idiot. And you have no yeah. idea how anything works. So here's, we're just some going... fart, here's some fart jokes that'll make right. you laugh. Right, here's here's um fucking Mike Myers with like his fur pants down so you can see his butt crack like he's a fucking plumber. 
at one point. Or all the weird disguises, like, especially the one where he has, like, the weird Chiquita banana, like, outfit on at one point. He's, like, doing the, like, Calypso or whatever. And this movie also has random just things that pop up. Like, there's two musical numbers, but that's it. Like, he sings at one point at the beginning and then one point at the very end, like, okay. I guess this is a musical now? It just, right. it, it keeps, it's one of those, like, lol random movies as well. It feels like it's an early example yeah, of, like, that. so like, early 2000s. Yeah. It's just the, like, <laughs> what? So random. Anyway. That, that, and that's it. That's the only reason it's funny. It's just because something randomly happens. Like, no. <laughs> this is annoying after a while. This is only about, like, 80 minutes long. And it feels oh, every, dude. every minute. Right? I was so happy when I saw the running time. It's literally like an hour and 24 minutes or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Something ridiculous. And I was like, oh my god, this is gonna fucking fly by. And then like, I aged 40 years and the movie was still playing and I was like, how is this happening? You were old Rose and Titanic by the end, just like, it's been yeah, 84 years. It's 84 years and I threw my Netflix subscription into the fucking Atlantic Ocean. Like, oh my god. I was baffled. I was like, how is a movie so... And, like, honestly, it, we should be thanking whoever edited it down to that because if it had been made nowadays, I'm I'm doing Marvel May at the moment, and if I have to watch another fucking three-and-a-half-hour-long movie for no reason that they're just trying to stretch out to make three-and-a-half-hour long, like, this movie so easily could have been, like, two hours and 16 minutes. It so easily could have done. They could have just let Mike Myers not shut up, and they could have done that to us and i just i just have to take the graces where they fall and just thank god this movie was under two hours thank god it, obviously this isn't the last um just dr seuss adaptation in general that would happen there have been several like what there was a recent grinch movie yeah the lorax mm. horton hears a who right where even those are animated which is arguably a better idea like audrey geisel who is the widow of dr seuss was like no we're not going to do any more live action ones after this and good. <laughs> Uh, but even then, like with those other animated ones, they're better technically, but it still yeah, feels still like not you, very good. You can't really stretch these stories out that long. I still feel that if you like the best route would honestly be just to do like an anthology Dr. Seuss, like do like three stories yeah. in like one movie, like 30 minutes each. Mm-hmm. That'd probably honestly be the best case scenario as opposed to this. Cause these stories are like, they're simple, they're quick, they're clean, and they have like a very basic message. And you don't really need to stretch that out to like 80 minutes. This is the thing. And if you want to do that, I'm sure there's a way. You just expand on the message and you you introduce characters that matter and that have a relevance to the plot and the protagonists. And you take time setting these people up so we care about them. It's, it's very easy to just fucking do a good movie. There's plenty of them out there that you can look at for reference. I don't understand why they struggled so hard to just be like, let's just not try Done. Cut, print, give me my paycheck. But, well, yeah, I think you just answered it. <laughs> right. That's right. all they cared about. They just wanted the money. Right, because they especially chose Cat in the Hat, I'm sure, just because this is the mascot Dr. Seuss character. Like, whenever yeah. you buy a Dr. Seuss book, it would have, like, the Cat in the Hat in the corner of the logo. Mm-hmm. He was sort of, like, the mascot after yeah. a certain point. So they just feel like, oh, iconography, IP, everyone understands Cat in the Hat. Great. We'll throw it out there. Mike can do whatever he wants. And, uh... I feel so sad for the, like, Dr. Seuss estate and all of the billions of young American children that were betrayed with this movie. Just a moment of silence for all these people that suffered. Well, the, the estate is making a lot of money. They're fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the estate just doesn't give a shit about integrity, I guess, with all these different adaptations. It's the problem. Even, like, the Lorax, I kind of hate around the same level. 
because that one just really corporatizes a book that had a better message about like the environment and all this other stuff. It just turns into mm-hmm. corporate bullshit, and it's the fucking Illumination people now doing it. So it's on the Minions guys. Oh, so, uh, Illuminati Entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> the conspiracy. Just look at the Minions. They're they're definitely part of something. Genuinely, I fucking hate that animation studio, and it should. Oh, drop. it's terrible! It's terrible! It's ugly animation. It's like they've softened the edges to make it more attainable for people's eyeballs. So people are like, "This is so safe, I can like swallow it whole now, and I don't have to think." And that's why they're able to just consume over and over again these shitty Illuminati um, animation movies with their terrible plots and their huge celebrity names on the posters. And I, I'm just so over it. Ah! Well, no, that's exactly what it is with The Grinch. I actually did watch that earlier because that's on Netflix, too. The 2018 yeah. Grinch. And uh, it is... It's so, yeah, I mean, it's just... It's very simple, just, like, everything's so smoothed over. And what I like about Dr. Seuss is, like, there is a bit of danger or there is a bit of, like, at least kind of, like, grime or Misty. some kind of, like, character. Mischief, yeah, right, to, to anything that's going on. There, there feels like there's a bit more danger. Like, honestly, I would recommend anybody... Like, the best live-action Dr. Seuss movie is the only one he ever actually wrote. Back in the 50s, there's a movie called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. It's a weird fucking movie about a kid who is like goes into a dreamland where his piano teacher forces him to play piano. And the, <laughs> and the teacher is played by Hans Conried, who is like the voice of Captain Hook. And in oh. live action, he looks exactly like Captain Hook. And it's like oh all God. the all the production design and costumes and everything looks like it's just a live action version of a Dr. Seuss book. Like they just ripped oh. it right out of the pages. It's a very weird, interesting movie. And that has a lot more menace and a lot more darkness to it. They could so easily be not Tim Burton, because that's like a different brand. But that's it, it, almost like if Taika Waititi was making... Thor Ragnarok-esque children's movies back in the early 2000s. That wacky, visually interesting entertainment roller coaster. Like, they so easily could be this instead of what they all are. I'd like to see, like, Laika get their hands on a Dr. Seuss yeah. story. For sure. You know, because the thing is about the Dr. Seuss books, the artwork was really sort of rugged. There was a lot of heavy line work, kind of scratchy in parts. And I think if you're going to do it, don't do live action, but you don't have to go straight animation either. Do stop motion animation. Mm -hmm. I think that would be fucking just the way to go with it at this point, if they're going to keep doing it, which they are because they always make money. They're, They're not afraid of darkness either. At all. It could be cool. Like, who is the villain in the Cat in the Hat movie? I'll tell you who the fucking villain is. It's the, the cat fucking in the cat in the hat. <laughs> right. It's Mike Myers. Like, what? Why is this the villain? Why do I want to... Why am I rooting more for Alec Baldwin than I am for Mike Myers? Like, why I honestly, is he the yes. villain of this movie? <laughs> exactly. Just because, like, he's being... Like, even though he's a dick, everyone's awful in this movie. All the characters are awful. Everybody's but at terrible. least... Yeah. But at least he has, like, a goal. <laughs> the, he yeah, has a yeah. fucking goal the and a drive. The one with motivation. <laughs> right? I mean, and, like, I genuinely wanted to love Dakota Fanning's character. She had some really snippy lines at the beginning, and, and for the early 2000s, it was a great little feminist role. And I was like, what a great little role model. And then the cat turns up and is like, do you want to trash the place? And she's like, yeah, all right then. And you're like, What? You, you were going to become president of the United States two <laughs> seconds ago, and now you're totally cool with trashing the house? They didn't even make a thing of that. She wrote on her to-do list, do something spontaneous, and she didn't even call back to it. She doesn't have an arc. The brother barely has an arc, but she definitely doesn't have an arc. And it's, Why would little girls care about this movie? Why would they want 
who were they following? Who do they care about? Who is this movie for? Like, who is it for? Oh, no, it's for no absolutely one. no one. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Because even, even, like, the opposite end of, like, little boys watching this movie would just be very befuddled. Like, anybody's really just befuddled by what's mm-hmm. going on here. You're just either like, oh, I want to hear Shrek do funny things in the weird outfit, like the Grinch, and you're just like, no, this is... It's, it's really not for anybody, because even, like, any adults who get the adult jokes are just going to be so frustrated with what's going on and i i do know what you're talking about emily where like some earlier you you said this thing about some people kind of have like a nostalgic attachment to it um Mm -hmm. it's this weird thing where like i don't mind necessarily the idea of like let's go back to like underrated gems from earlier in in time and kind of like you know reassess them like really revitalize them we like doing that on the show even but Mm -hmm. the trouble is like you can't do that with like every movie you liked as a kid sometimes they're just bad movies and you like them because you liked them when you were a kid And they were saying it came down to it's funny to watch Mike Myers be in a cat costume and then have another costume on top of that. Like, that's just ridiculous imagery. And I find that funny. And it was things like um, just the the randomness of it all, the sort of um, eclectic bizarreness of the movie was perhaps an energy we hadn't seen in a kid's movie at the time because they were all so good beforehand. And this really had this anarchic feel to it but even that it was anarchic in like a jar with the lid on like it wasn't truly anarchic like it was just shit and <laughs> so I, I kind of I kind of understand where they're coming from because you know there's a lot of movies I grew up with as a kid like Fern Gully which I will die on that hill and I look at it now and I struggle to watch it all the way through because I'm like this is a bad movie but I will fight to the death anyone that says that to me face to face so they, but they were being truly honest. They were like, genuinely, I think The Cat in the Hat is a good movie and you don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, not even ironically, not even tongue in cheek. You're not even aware that it's a bad movie, but you have this nostalgic attachment to it. You genuinely think it's a good movie. What about this is a good movie? It doesn't make sense. What's the plot? What's the storyline? Who's the winner? What's the point of anything in this movie? Why do I care? Well, th- those sound like pretty good final thoughts, <laughs> unless you have anything to add. <laughs> but, um, Adam, what about you? What are your final thoughts on Cat in the Hat? I mean, do I really even got to say anything else? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a vapid, tepid, soulless movie made for nobody but the principal cast. And by principal cast, I mean Mike Myers. Mike Myers took a fucking hefty paycheck for it eked his way through it, relied on old standards that he used to do, didn't try to do anything new. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's like prison toilet wine. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's, just, it's, it's garbage. It's just pure, pure shit. And it'll make, it'll drive you fucking crazy if you drink it. Like, it's just, I don't understand literally any of the ideas behind any of the choices that were made. I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't even know why we even bother setting up that his mom's a real the mom's a real estate agent, and that the the guy who runs it's a germaphobe. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? Why are we wasting time with this? And like, it, I was okay with it. I was like, okay, sure, fine. Stakes because they now do we have to throw with a it. party. But then the dress gets ruined, and then it's just fine again. And there was yep. no consequences for anything. Yep. And it was just like, I hope we all learn a valuable lesson. We didn't. I didn't learn anything. I didn't learn shit. Yeah, absolutely not. It's it's a movie made for no one. 
by people who clearly didn't give a fuck about the source material or the audience. It's just, it's a garbage fire of a film. Insulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, someone, like, I was definitely raised on Dr. Seuss books as a kid. Cam Hat was, like, never my favorite story, necessarily. Oh, no, my it has, like, it has, like, all of those same tenets that we're kind of talking about. Like, when you look at other Dr. Seuss books, there are so much more, like, interesting themes. Yertle the Turtle... It's totally like an anti-fascism book in a really interesting way for kids. Like, Dr. Seuss had these, like, deeper, complex themes he was sharing through simple, small stories that, like, those are the more interesting ones you could maybe, like, develop something more out of. So any of those mm. other ones. As opposed to Cat in the Hat, it's it's a very simple story. And really, like, even, like, they they did a bunch of, like, uh, specials on TV, like, animated ones. And I rewatched the Cat in the Hat one, and that one is, like, one, even at, like, it's 20 minutes long, they're stretching it out. Like, really, the best mm. adaptation of the story is the fucking theme park ride. <laughs> It's very fucking quick, and it doesn't take up your time that much. And there are decent animatronics that, like, that's literally the best version of the story, unfortunately. Uh, and as it stands, like, this one is really just like it's a, the worst example of kind of taking a lot of the visual stuff and interesting things about Doctor Seuss and really just flushing it down the toilet and not doing a good job with it at all. It's uh, it's really terrible. And we'll get to a good film in just a second. But here's an ad for an ESO show you can listen to right after hours. You have 30 seconds to describe Thunder Talk. It's pop culture. With a twist. It's music. LBGTQ+. And comedy. Well, dark comedy. It's nerd junk. It's comic books. Video games. Conventions. Yeah, nerd junk. And social commentary. It's woke, yo. Yeah, and nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. Thunder Talk is all over the place. Every place you want to be thunder talk is a proud member of the eso network find us at thundertalk.org and download us on all podcast platforms all right and uh, now we're going to be talking about paddington 2 mr gruber come in i'd like to get my aunt lucy a birthday present what's this this popping book is the only one of its kind and they want a lot of money for it Hold it right there. But I'm not the thief. I want to hear all about the investigation. Paddington is innocent. I'm going to prove it. Paddington looks for the good in all of us and somehow he finds it. If we're kind and polite, the world will be right. Oh my god. So, I'm very glad we had you on, Emily, for this, because uh, as opposed to uh, Dr. Seuss, I believe uh, an English person might be a bit aware of uh, Paddington, right? The the novels, the lovely children's books? I'm fascinated. I finished watching it, and I was like, I'm really interested to see what these two guys think about it, because it is the most Britishy, British, Brit, Brit, British, British thing. We have two statues of Paddington Bear in London town, because and like probably plans to develop more. Paddington Bear was the face of like marmalade for years. Paddington Bear is an icon. You've got the Queen of England, James Bond, Paddington Bear. That's your round mushroom, I assume, right? Those three faces on a big stone carving. Yeah, (laughs) on Stonehenge, it's that. (laughs) Right. Um, It's so so British humour as well, which I'm fascinating to see how... Because when I think of the cat in the hat, no offence, it is the most crass American humour. Paddington 2 is is just so British humour, and it's just... I cry every time. I'm going to cry talking about this film, by the way, because it's just an absolute joy of a movie. It is so charming, and it is so delightful to sit through and 
it's so perfect for children and adults and all different types of children as well. Like I never, I forgot how much like kind of gross out humor there was in this movie that I found disgusting, but I know a child will like lap up and like, that's so perfect. And it's full of plants and payoffs and the way it's filmed when you think of the cat in the hat it's filmed so flat and dull and then this is filmed so exciting and thrilling and it's so much fun to watch and it's so inventive with its setups and its ideas and it's just every single second of this movie has been thought out and delicately crafted together yeah it, it's matter versus antimatter with these two movies we never picked like a more appropriate like yin and yang of a double feature literally <laughs> in terms of our show in terms of how similar weirdly the the basic conceits are it's important to say we're talking about Paddington 2 uh though the first Paddington uh, which came out in 2014 also directed by Paul King who directed this one uh both of them are very charming wonderful movies uh they're just basically mm-hmm. if you're somehow not aware of Paddington at all even basically even most Americans can at least recognize Paddington it's like the bear with mm-hmm. the brain coat and the hat like we, we usually at least know that character uh he's a little bear comes from um, Peru, uh, where he's raised by his Aunt Lucy, um, and he comes over here uh, just trying to make his way, and he um, ends up being sort of adopted by the Brown family. The second movie, it's uh, all about him just trying to get this perfect gift for Aunt Lucy, um, even at the cost of you know him getting thrown in prison and all these other fun shenanigans that take place. And uh, yeah, I, I think you can agree, Adam, that this is like the anti-Cat in the Hat in every way, right? Yeah, because it has something called charm and (laughs) intelligence behind it and love for the source material and appreciation of the source material and how it affects its audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and Hugh Grant, (laughs) which is a huge plus. He's fantastic in this movie. The whole cast is fantastic in this movie. Uh, Yeah, it's it's just a lovely little feel-good sort of heartwarming movie. I mean, both of them are. Uh, I, I I think I like the second one more than the first, and again, probably because of Hugh Grant. Uh, but yeah, it's just a charming, just like really sweet movie about a living, talking bear. I mean, it's it, but it's it's a family movie at its core. Yeah, where he feels like a genuine member of this family, as opposed to our previous feature, where nobody feels like they even give a fuck about each other. And this one. You could just the love radiates off the fucking screen mm-hmm. that these characters have for each other. It's it's just a beautiful, sweet movie. And everyone has a character. Every single mm-hmm. member of the family has a function and a use within the plot, and they're all active and they're all helpful and they're all lovely and they all learn and grow together. Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely agree. Like you were talking about setup and payoff. Like, as opposed to Cat in the Hat, which set up things and never brought them back, this movie does such a great job of, like, every single, like, trait of every character. Even the first one does this, too. Like, all the different Mm -hmm. family members have, like, one either quick gag or character trait that ends up becoming a big part of, like, the climax in such a Mm -hmm. charming way. And I think a lot of it also just has to do with, like, uh, Ben Wishaw is the voice of Paddington, which is so interesting given in the original movie it was recorded, and even he was on set, uh, Colin Firth. As yeah. Paddington, and that would n- not have worked. Like I like Colin Firth a lot, but he feels so much mm, more cold and rigid. Too old. Yeah. 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 Too old. 
he's, he's so much rigid. I suppose like a Ben Wisha has this weird infectious charm where the moment Paddington enters a room, you can instantly tell like this bear has the best interest of everyone in this room at heart, even in the prison. The naivety and the innocence of it that mm-hmm. really radiates as well. No, yeah, I think especially all the stuff in the prison is gold. Like when Paddington's mm-hmm. being thrown in jail and he's amongst all these other criminals, I love that they're wearing the fucking stripes of like old school prison outfits and then they go in and especially, like I, I do agree that Hugh Grant's great, we'll talk about him more, but my favorite is Brendan Gleeson as Knuckles McGinty, <laughs> who is such like a like great example of like he's this big intimidating creature and the moment Paddington appeals to his softer nature, the entire prison just becomes so enraptured with, like, Paddington's messages of good joy and goodwill. Like, that whole montage that happens where, like, he starts cooking for the prison, and then all the prisoners, like, start dancing and all this other stuff is so wonderful. I love that whole bit. And it's, like, progressive, because if you're a child watching that, it breaks down all of these things of toxic masculinity, and it gives everyone, you're allowed to have your own interests and you needn't be afraid of them and you need to be who you are. And they do that so gently and sweetly in such a fun way that you're you're learning how to be a better, nicer human being. Um, and it's so wholesome without them even trying. Whereas the cat in the hat is like a punch in the fucking face and a step backwards from everything progressive with every sentence uttered by every character. Whereas here it's just very casually like, oh, look, we're like baking cakes and wearing pink. And like we take pride in what we do and we're unashamed of our weird hobbies and they help save the day. And like we just got to be who we truly are and just be kind to each other and the whole world will be okay. And when even the villain gets his dream come true... And you want him to as well. You're rooting for him. It's just so delightful. These did pretty well, didn't they? Yeah. I want another Paddington movie. There needs to be more. Or at least uh, family-centric films that are done in this way. Right, yeah. They did announce a third one, though. They said the biggest worry was that Paul King was not going to be directing it. Because I believe he was announced for, like, some Willy Wonka prequel or some bullshit. That's like, who cares? Who needs that? The world needs a Paddington 3. They don't need Uh fucking Willy Wonka or whatever. Yeah, because I I totally agree, though. Uh, Especially even, like, you were talking about some of, like, the the sort of message it was was saying about Emily. A big one even is just the fact that this is an immigrant story. Because Paddington is, like, he's coming from a different country. He's coming in and he's trying to make, like, an honest day's work to just try and, like, help people out. Like, his whole thing of, like, being a window washer is adorable. I love that whole thing at the beginning of this movie where he's trying to be a window washer actually just to make like an honest book. And even there's, he encounters some form of like prejudice with Peter Capaldi's character who admittingly is great in both these movies. <laughs> it's the weird bear racist. It's so fucking funny every time he shows up. He's like, that little bear, how dare he show up? He's like, and then again though, like it's pretty true that like the, this, the producer behind this is one of the big ones behind Harry Potter. And it feels like this has become the new British, like every British actor has to be in this franchise franchise mm-hmm. because like everybody <laughs> shows up in these movies even down to like jessica hines shows up in this one from like space and stuff like they go mm-hmm. really deep with are we about richard aoti and a great cameo at the courtroom scene <laughs> yeah. it's a thing mm-hmm. I, I believe he, there was this marmalade found here and he escaped out the front window and all that so perfect <laughs> but and of course we have to talk more about hugh grant um as our villain oh here in this movie, just maybe arguably the role he was born to play of a pompous actor who's going about trying to steal money. So he he never wanted to be an actor, Hugh Grant, which is incredibly frustrating to hear. 
But um, he was just doing some shit and then got in with Richard Curtis, was able to deliver Richard Curtis's lines very well. So it was in all of his movies for ages. Then went on to obviously have an incredible, huge career as like a leading man in Britain, broke America. And then as they were writing Paddington 2, they were like, we need a sort of like washed up lovey. And they immediately thought of Hugh Grant and they got him on board. And he says to this day that it's the his favourite role to date and the best thing he's ever been in. You can see him just having the time of his life. And as someone that's grown up with the Hugh Grant sort of, oh, um, yes, I uh, suppose I'm in love with you now sort of movies to watch him just break out and have fun like you had no idea he's he's really come into his own the older he's got and I'm just so pleased for him and it's such a treasure and a gift that he was given this role and he did what he did with it and it's just genius it's just absolute genius and no one no one could play it like he could I'm gonna put it out there like no one could play this role like Hugh Grant no, it's it feels perfectly written for him in every way. Mm-hmm. Like no one else could really accomplish, especially with just like he makes something so like very old school comedy of like oh he's gonna put on a bunch of different disguises feels so fresh. Mm-hmm. It feels so fresh when he puts on like a nun outfit, um, or when he uh, has especially the dog food commercial and how pathetic he looks inside <laughs> the fucking dog suit. <laughs> it's it's so perfect. I would obviously you'd agree, Adam, with Hugh Grant here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he steals the entire movie. I mean, mm-hmm. easily, easily. He's, he, it's electric anytime he's on screen. You can't take your eyes off him. Uh, and I think this movie might, might have kind of started his sort of resurgence as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Now he's, you know, he's popping up more and more in things on playing very different roles than you expect. Like I, Hugh Grant and the Gentleman is something he's never played before, that character. And he's, he's absolutely fantastic in it. And this, you can tell that he just absolutely loved it, maybe fell back in love with the process of acting because of it. Because since then, like I said, he's played so many different sort of varied roles. He's gone on to do so much. He was in a a very English scandal where he played the old leader of the Lib Dems who was caught up in like a homosexual scandal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like swept up at all of the awards and just just incredible acting from someone that for years we were all like Hugh Grant he can't fucking act he's a one trick yeah. pony he just does just like English eyes. things yeah, yeah. blue eyes because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. everyone remembers Vicky Blue Eyes everybody should remember Vicky Blue Eyes <laughs> it's a national treasure over here <laughs> <laughs> he's our Paddington Mickey Blue Eyes I'm just so happy for him do you know what I mean? No, no yeah, I, I completely agree. And it, it's it's so great seeing him pop here, especially, and playing this villainous character, but in a way where you're still constantly so charmed by anything he does. Like, when the whole scene where he uh, talks to his different costumes, and it's, like, it's so silly and fun with like especially the bit where he talks to his Ebenezer Scrooge costume. It's like, now, Ebenezer, I know what you're thinking. It's uh, going to cost a lot of money, but don't worry. <laughs> We're going to get through this. It's, like, really clever, witty stuff that, like, would work for the parents in the audience, but in a way that's actually, like, earned and has some wit to it. Yeah, it's clever. Right, yeah. It's something that where, like, you would actually chuckle heartily at it. Even, like, the actual sort of action beats of this movie also work really well to praise Paul King's direction. Uh, like, the uh, whole train chase is, like, oh it feels Oh, my like, God. It feels like something straight out of, like, a Buster Keaton old-school silent movie. Like, the way that he uses the different carriages and the things he chooses to put in them and the way that the whole setup of the coconut shy and they're in the carriage and it has the coconut 
arch above Hugh Grant's head as he throws the ball at him. It just every little thing is thought out and delivered well and properly. And it's just so funny as well. They managed to make it so fucking funny with his little ladder from his suitcase, the comic timing on that. And like all of the callbacks that are happening in this final climax scene, the fucking exit bear pursued by actor, like absolutely yeah. <laughs> And then he, oh God, it's so funny. It's so funny. And then it's immediately heartwarming again. And the very end of this movie where everyone's in the house and he's like, I never managed to get a present for my Aunt Lucy. And then the doorbell goes and that's when I start crying. And then I don't stop until the final credits roll. And it's just because you, I'm, I'm like able to keep it in for a while. I'm like, this is really charming and my heart is thoroughly warmed. But like, I'm cool. I'm I'm fine. I've got a hold of this. And then he opens the door and she's there because she always wanted to do that. And it's so <laughs> cute. No, it, it's because it all feels so earned by everything that's happened beforehand. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because it's that it's the thing we're talking about where you put the work into like setups and payoffs, but also developing all these characters as well as you do. And it makes something that's like so simple, like, oh, everybody's here in a, in a worse movie. It would come up as like cloying and kind of... Yeah. manipulative to some degree and in this case you are just like oh they're gonna go on a trip to london <laughs> oh, God, it's oh man no yeah it, it works so perfectly and i think especially just some of the other great stuff like i love the whole even where i start almost welling up it's early on in the movie but when paddington talks about showing her around london it's that great pop-up book visual of it and oh, how they're, like, so walking good. around. That's oh, such a wonderful, fucker. cute idea. <laughs> Why would you bring that up? <laughs> oh, is, is someone else uh, having a bit of a tear over there? Yeah, oh, dude, that, that's 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 the part that starts to get me, like, right away, too. I'm like, oh, God. It's just all so cute and sweet and earnest. Well, and, and I'm actually very curious, speaking with you about it, um, did your daughter watch this as well? She watched the first one. And then we watched that awful movie earlier, and then I started this one, and she was already mentally like kind of checked out. Mm-hmm. So she, she went and just started doing her own thing. But uh, she liked the first one enough. You know, like, she's young. She probably doesn't even remember it. But, yeah, she, she did enjoy the first one. I, I guarantee you if I sat down tomorrow with her or even after recording tonight, like, hey, let's watch this, she, she would watch it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think she'll like it. Yeah, no, it's it's just an intelligent movie. It doesn't talk down to your children and they'll learn right. things from it and they'll they'll learn more sophisticated bits of humor as well because they'll understand that something's meant to be funny and then they'll laugh because the beats are there, but they're not it's not because someone got bonked on the hood or something. It like it's smart humor and it's clever and it's thoughtful and it's it's sweet and it's just it's just so much better and every movie should be at this standard and it's infuriating that it's not. But then I guess it's so lovely when we do get them like this because they're a real treat. That's the thing is more like these family films should like strive to be like a Paddington or a Paddington 2 because mm-hmm. like those are the ones that like where you, like we mentioned they really care about the characters and the actually you're not talking down to your children and just treat them like actual films. Like this is like it's a just even removing like oh it's a sweet heartwarming family movie. It's a really well constructed movie. Oh like Yeah. Movie. 
Yeah, it like it goes as I said before. It's just shot brilliantly. Like the bit where he's under the water, like there's a point, and I was watching it, and I'd seen it before, and there was a point where I was like, "You could convince me that you're about to kill off Paddington Bear." Like, oh, R.I.P. Paddington. I guess like <laughs> this is it. This is the end of the line. And then, of course, it's even more amazing when the guys come in. They come back, and it's the big hurrah, and you're you're trapped under the water with them and you can't breathe along with them. And then the way the train is shot is so vivid and exciting and like dangerous. And then we go back to these, uh, every, every time that we're doing the heist scenes with Hugh Grant, like every bit of filming is thought out and done in the way of the genre, almost homaging these different genres that they're trying to portray. And it just makes it visually more exciting to watch. And it just pulls you in. And I think this movie is like two hours and 15 minutes flew by fucking flew by like before you know it Hugh Grant's singing his one man show in the prison and you're like my god what a great time we all had like best end credits bit in any movie fuck you Marvel it's it's all about that that, all about that Hugh Grant dance sequence And even I, I also love the bit like when they're getting when they're putting him in court, and he's just like, um, and you committed so many crimes, and also shamed the great work of actors everywhere. <laughs> and <then laughs> yeah. person, and she's like, that. no, yeah, it, it feels, um, it's definitely very British, but in a way that also feels very sort of weirdly charming to like us on the other side, like, oh, you adorable Brits, this is how you all act, right? This is exactly what it is, just like this wholesome and charming every single time. <laughs> Clearly, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a documentary, right? This is a documentary. <laughs> this is the thing. Do you think we all live on like fancy townhouses in London and like um, wear cozy woolen knitted jumpers and sort of all know our neighbours and that sort of thing? Or right, or and you're like... visited by three ghosts every Christmas. Yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> yeah, we know how it works. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> you guys call them biscuits, not cookies. We understand. <laughs> we watch the BBC sometimes. You travel in police boxes everywhere. It's cool. We get it. We're aware. Look, I have seen the great British cooking show quite a few times. All right. I, I think I got a pretty good grasp. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that in Love Island. You know what I'm saying? You ends of Britain. Yeah, yeah right in the middle. So. <laughs> uh, uh, well, um, I, we could keep on mounting so much praise on Paddington 2, but let's go into some final thoughts here. Uh, Emily, our guest, your final thoughts on Paddington 2. It's just the perfect movie. It's a solid 10 out of 10. It is critically acclaimed, and it is beloved by families and children everywhere. And very, very few films live up to that standard. It is a true masterpiece of cinema for what it is. And even beyond what it is, it's just genuinely, I feel lucky to be alive at the same time as Paddington 2. Adam, your final thoughts. You know, I just think it's a sweet, charming movie. I think it's something that all family movies should, like you said, sort of strive to be. Uh, I think it's adorable, and I, I think it's, you know, a perfect, perfect uh, family movie for to watch with kids. I, I, I don't, like was alluded to, it doesn't talk down to them. And it's smart, it's funny, it's cute, and it's it's heartwarming. Yeah, I mean, I still remember around the time the first Paddington came out, over in the States, they were just highlighting all the gross-out stuff in the trailers, and I was so worried that, like, oh, man, is this going to be like an Alvin and the Chipmunks or some other thing? Like, we have a great tradition of terrible movies where animals are CG'd in with humans, and it looks Mm -hmm. like garbage, and it's crass, and it's very pop culture of the moment references and all that other bullshit. So I was just, like, kind of ignored it at the time. And then everyone said, oh, it's great. And I'm like, oh, whatever. And then Paddington 2, everyone said, like, this is the best film ever made. And I'm like, well, is it 
Rotten Tomatoes saying this is the best movie ever. Like, let's let's just see. And I'm like, it's true. <laughs> it's so true. It's it's just like it really engrosses you in like all these different characters and great actors all around. We, we didn't even mention much about like Sally Hawkins and Hugh Bonneville and the family mm-hmm. themselves, but they're so delightful to, and they like really work well with uh, Paddington the whole time. And then when you get to like Hugh Grant and Brendan Gleeson and everybody else, it's so perfect. And Paul King really makes just like a handsome looking movie. It's so much so to the point where like if you were kind of distant from this because like oh it seems like a kids movie i don't want to really like get into it like just watching it on its own it's just a perfectly charming inoffensive in every single way family film and just film in general it mm-hmm. just it's, it's so well put together that you even if you don't have any kids you might enjoy it if you have a heart or a soul <laughs> hey uh thomas before we go uh, i got somebody else who wants to share a little bit of feedback on the other movie we did if that's okay okay hey do you remember the you can talk now do you remember the movie we watched earlier with the cat Mm-hmm. Did you like it? Yeah. Did it make you laugh? <laughs> yeah. What was the part made you laugh the most? Um, the laughing part. The laughing part? What <laughs> Was it the part maybe when he burped? Remember that? Yeah. Oh, it was gross, wasn't it? Yeah. So you liked it, though, huh? Yeah. Is it your favorite movie? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> You need to leave now. Get out. <laughs> well, I guess it's a good news thing to end on Adam kicking his child out of the house permanently. <laughs> She'll never be seen again. And uh, we still got some feedback to read in our films pick for next week, so stay tuned for that. But uh, let's read our feedback first from a few other people that aren't related directly to Adam. Um, where basically, if you're... Um, so you fa- think. So, so you think that's true. They're all your cousins. Everyone listening yep, here is a cousin. Yes. Um, uh, if you're new here, um, every single Monday on at DEDB pod, we share a feeler about like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing? And so uh, we had a few people share theirs. Uh, first, there's uh, James Rodriguez, who's been a guest on the show before, fellow Brit, Emily. Woo! He says, uh, Paddington 2 is a modern masterpiece, which leaves me in tears by the end. Uh, 2011's The Muppets is a real gem, uh, which should have paved the way for more Muppety content that than we got. Back to the Future is exceptional stuff. Um, as for worst examples, Peter Rabbit uh, had me wanting a gruesome end for that tosser. Uh, the album The Chipmunks films are dire and grating on the ears. Doolittle, yikes. And uh, even before uh, recent events came to light, it shocks me that Nine Lives uh, was made with a family audience in mind at all. James C. Robertson says, uh, Best Sandlot Heavyweights... Uh, the Mighty Ducks, Remember the Titans, Worst, Mac and Me. Uh, Brian Kane says, Not a film, but I recently watched uh, all of Star Trek Next Generation, which is chock full of so many teachable moments that it wouldn't uh, be too out of place in the classroom on a slow week. On the other hand, uh, Illumination Entertainment has not made any good movies whatsoever. And then uh, Blake Smith said, uh, Alone in the Wilderness, which is based on a true story, and uh, My Side of the Mountain. Um, so yeah, I mean, those some pretty good ones were exemplified there i would say uh, also mac and me which was adam's alternative choice that we oh, all which we show. still gotta do we are going to do that at some point I, i'm very curious have you heard of mac and me emily is that um the kid from the princess bride with the monster under his bed no no that's that's little monsters yeah. oh okay mac Good and me is a is an et ripoff made by mcdonald's what? Yes. <laughs> and uh, the, the the alien like loves Coca Cola, and he does a break dance in a bear suit in the McDonald's. So it's like Paddington. It's exactly. Like I have to watch this. What oh. the fuck? Oh, it's oh my god! Made by McDonald's. Yes. Yeah. Very much fine. It's Ronald McDonald has a cameo in it. Yep. They go to a McDonald's. Oh. There's, a big, 
There's a big oh, dance break scene inside of McDonald's. I've seen that in Lalian somewhere before. Yeah. Uh, Paul Rudd shows that clip on Conan O'Brien every time he's on of a little yeah. kid in a wheelchair going down the cliff. Right, every time Conan's like, we have a clip from your movie, let's watch it. And it's just the clip of this kid in a wheelchair, our main protagonist, going down a cliff and falling into the water. And then Mac just pops up. <laughs> Real scene from that fucking movie. <laughs> Who designed this creature? It's disgusting. <laughs> it's like a f- I'm gonna have nightmares. Oh, hey, I'm McDonald's so- paid for it. Ron McDonald paid his cold hard nugget money on that fucking you- shit. I can't believe. Is it called Mac? Because literally, it's a McDonald's alien. Like Big Mac. I- yeah. Why do McDonald's yeah. want this associated with their product? I like McDonald's. At least I did until now. Every time I'm gonna have a chicken McNugget, I'm gonna think of this creature's face. The McNuggets are made out of those Mac and Me creatures, I believe. That's the secret system. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's horrible. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> what are some really good family films to you, Emily? What are some ones maybe that haven't been discussed yet on your show, where you mainly cover family films uh, that you would love to talk about on your show? I have been trying to get this on my show for a while now, and um, I haven't. I've been waiting for the right person. The NeverEnding Story... Is oh, yeah. I genuinely think it's a brilliant family feature. I'm a huge fan of fantasy, and I think it's just one of the most perfect fantasy movies to exist. It doesn't have that same link with adults that, say, Paddington does, so I, I wonder if you can really call it a family feature in the same way, but um, I think it's gorgeous. Oh, um, fucking Peter Pan 2003 with Jason Isaacs as Captain Hook and Mr. Darling. Jeremy yeah, but- Really? That one yeah. isn't too bad. Yeah, I, I was, uh, isn't too I bad. Haven't seen it. It's I brilliant. Seen it. <laughs> it's genuinely it, it's it's everything. It's heartwarming. It's got adult humor in there. It breaks the fourth wall. It's a perfect adaptation of the source material. Again, it's very very British. Peter Pan is one of the most British things you can get. It's a perfect interpretation of Neverland. It it updates the story enough whilst keeping it in its original setting. I would say that that's that's a really every Christmas I watch that Peter Pan because it's just perfect. Uh, yeah, I would say as someone who is not traditionally a Peter Pan fan, that is definitely one <laughs> of the better ones. I would say for sure because they yeah. they treat that entire world a lot more seriously. And Jason Isaacs is quite good. He's brilliant. You know, also I mean. Home Alone, you know, is still a classic. Batteries Not Included, Princess Bride, I mean, mm-hmm. Back to the Future, Tintin, mm-hmm. you know, the original, it just, there's so many out there that just nobody really thinks about. Like, even if you get into musicals, I mean, there's hundreds, which I'm not a huge musical fan by any fucking means, uh, but still, there's there's hundreds of them that are great. It's just, unfortunately... They're so few and far in between if they're the non-Disney or Pixar vehicles. Uh, so they don't get enough attention. But, I mean, it, there's, there's like Spy Kids, the first one. Super fun. Yeah. Super fun. Matilda, super fun. Oh, my God. Matilda is you a know, gem. There's so many good ones out there. It's just, unfortunately, the market is it's, it's such a mass-produced sort of genre of films because it's a way for parents to get out of the fucking house, and if you got kids, you got to take them with you. So take them, go sit in a theater, get out of your house. The kids will hopefully be quiet and watch the movie, and then you can sort of veg out. But a lot of them are just so soulless and just mm. money grabs, basically, because they're always going to make money, if a, for the most part. If a family film that looks even halfway competent in this trailer, 
uh, hits a theater, it's going to make money. Mm. I think one that's still, it's a great example of like how kids and adults would love it is a Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah. God like, damn it, I love that movie so much. It's it's such a great example where it is handling like more adult situations, but doesn't in a way where it doesn't like necessarily expose too much to kids, but also it's one where like I've gone back and watched the movie so many times it's like, oh, yeah, patty cake. My wife and my four-year-old just watched that uh, probably two weeks ago. And? and my kid thought it was hilarious. She We skipped a couple scenes. Uh, this is the thing. Like, the, I, shoe, the shoe and the dip. I don't think my yeah. kid can handle that. And mm-hmm. Judge Doom at the end, I don't think she can handle that. But, no, she thought it was hilarious, you know. And I would keep coming in with the whole time where they're watching it, just doing the one weasel voice, you know. <laughs> I'm going to ram him. I just kept saying it. She got so irritated at me. But, no, it's a classic. <laughs> it's a great, great movie. It's funny. I wouldn't say it's like I've I've always looked at Hugh Frayne Roger Rabbit as a movie for adults. Like, especially because the book that it's based on is 100% an adult novel. Mm-hmm. It's funny. And I did watch it as a kid. Yeah, but I think even when I was watching it, I could tell that it was a different caliber to what I was. I felt like I wasn't meant to be watching it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it it sort of wasn't meant to be for me. And, of course, um, Christopher Lloyd is oh, now in this everyone's nightmares. Just but, you know, <laughs> 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 but I killed you, brother! <laughs> uh, no, I, I, but I think you're onto something there. I, I felt the same way when I watched it as a kid. Like, man, this is a, there's things in this that I don't understand, but I shouldn't mm. be, I shouldn't be seeing it. Yeah. But I also argue that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a good sort of bridge movie for kids too. Oh to yeah, yeah, start yeah. Getting into the more grown up fare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say it has a similar effect of like some of like the later Mel Brooks movies, not like the earlier ones are a lot more raunchy. Like Spaceballs, and stuff Spaceballs, like that. yeah, it's very much like a yeah. great bridge movie for kids. I would argue, yeah, uh, it's so silly and so ridiculous. I do it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Right, yeah, that's the thing. It's like there's plenty of those jokes, but then again, I guess it's just the weird thing. Like my dad would let us watch like even Aria things. Like it's weird how in America, like a Terminator Two was something I watched when I was very young and far. I too saw young. that. Sh- I saw them shits at the theater. I was nine. Yeah. <laughs> America. Oh, no, I was 11, so it's better. <laughs> okay. I wasn't even allowed to go and see Lord of the Rings in cinemas, and I was old enough. I saw Robocop at the theater. Yeah. <laughs> it was four. Jesus. Years old. My dad took us to see Robocop. This is why we need family entertainment. So dads stop taking their kids to go watch Aliens at age this, 10. This is why we shouldn't be allowed to have guns. <laughs> <laughs> that and many, 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 many more reasons. No, that's, that's, but that's number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's number one. Number two, fast shootings. But Robocop, number one. <laughs> um, and then uh, just a quick feedback in reference to a previous episode we did from Rafe Tilsh. Loved your conversation about From Beyond on the really good look at it. Uh, made me laugh when you brought up the intergalactic trivia bit because that was a pop question thing I was going to do for my show in an episode that was planned but got canceled. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Rafe. We uh, we really dig that episode. I think that's one of our better examples of especially covering a specific filmmaker. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and Castle Freak. Oh, Castle Freak. Oh, Castle Freak. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, thanks to all of you for that feedback, and of course, thanks to Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show, and thanks, of course, to Emily Slade for appearing on the show. <laughs> Emily, plug yourself, and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. I had a really good time, and I think it was probably about time that I did finally watch The Cat in the Hat. At least now I've ripped that plaster off, as it were. Um, I run the widest film podcast. We look back at the movies of your childhood. Um, Rafe is going to be coming on in a future episode, as you are too. We've got lots in the pipeline um, coming out during this lockdown period. Uh, if you do want to come on as a guest, do you want to look back at a movie from your childhood, then email me at whythisfilmpodcast at gmail.com. We just rewatch the movie and then sit down and have an informal chat about it very nostalgic i like to think it's very funny we're across all podcasting platforms and you can find us on instagram facebook twitter just search for why this film podcast or some variation the brand is pink because i'm a girl (laughs) oh yeah it's a great show i love particularly uh, your recent episode on phantom menace oh yeah slash all of Star Wars. <laughs> well, yeah, basically. I, I thought, like, I was going into it like, oh, I, I've heard so many, like, prequel podcasts and other stuff like that. But it felt like you guys had a different, interesting spin on it. And it was a very fun show. Yeah, we liked it, basically. <laughs> That's the twist. <laughs> coming out of that episode, we were suddenly like, wait a minute, this isn't that bad. We've just seen Rise of Skywalker. We know what bad is. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker is a paradigm shift in terms of, like, maybe we need to reassess some things. <laughs> Phantom Menace had a vague plot that it followed. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. The guys um, that are on that also have their own podcast. They're recently looking at the Marvel movies, so check them out. They're the Cold Coolers comedy podcast. Alright, well yes, and you have a Patreon as well you recently launched, right? Yes, I keep forgetting to plug it because I literally <laughs> launched it like two days ago. <laughs> you go to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast. Um you can support me there from a little as £3 a month. Uh, subscribe, you get early access to all uh, episodes, you get additional bonus material. I do live Zoom watches. I recently watched the Evil Dead movies for the first time, and you can hear my podcast episode on those over there if you subscribe. Um, we're looking at getting more tiers in as well and more stuff available. Um, I run quizzes as well at the moment, weekly quizzes. I do film quizzes and normal quizzes on a Friday. They're all going up on my YouTube channel, um, as well as just, again, additional fun bullshit that I put up on the internet. Cause you know, what the fuck else am I going to do right now? Fair <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find us putting random bullshit on the internet, um, over on our Twitter and Facebook page. At DEDB Pod, that's where we put up those feelers asking about your favorite and least favorite things related to whatever topic we do. You can also email us, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And we have a Patreon ourselves. Uh, we only charge $1 a month uh, for any of the content that we do. And uh, that includes, uh, right now, you can uh, still vote on our uh, good choice for the Westerns episode. Uh, that'll still be up for if you're listening to this on the day it posts for about a day. Uh, so you'll have just enough time to put in your vote. And we also just want to thank, like, uh, Adam and I were very shocked by the decent amount of people we got on on the Patreon. On day so, one. I mean, it's uh, fucking wild. Yeah. Uh, we're already up to about 11 as this recording, but we really appreciate it, guys, all of you that did participate. Absolutely. And if you, and if you can't, we also understand it. Uh, but if you can, it's all very appreciated. Uh, but uh, you can uh, also find me doing some other internet stuff at NotTheWho'sTommy on Twitter and Instagram. And I also do some writing at marianethomas.wordpress.com for reviews and stuff. I recently put out a review for Capone, the Tom Hardy Al Capone movie. 
Uh, you'll have to read just to find out what I think about that. Spoilers, it's fucking stupid, but uh, you can read more details. What? Josh Trank made a bad movie? I know, it's no. a shocker. Uh, it weirdly feels like a movie made in quarantine, because it's just pretty much Tom Hardy and like one other person like every scene. And he's and, really sick and grunting and disheveled. Right, and, and, and also it's it's not it's directed, written, and edited by Josh Trank, so it's a very one-man affair. Um, and uh, you can also hear, see me uh, do some satirical superhero news writing at TrueSuperheroFans.com, and uh, you can find Adam uh, just trying to find that marmalade. That's your, that's your main goal, right? Just find that marmalade. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, okay. For more of this great improvised banter, uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. We're on the ESO network where you can listen to a bunch of other great shows. But you can also take into our archives on the original Podbean feed for the first several episodes we did. And if you can't subscribe to that Patreon, if you could at least just rate, review, or share the show around, we would appreciate that. It gives us more visibility out there. Yeah, it doesn't take, you know, I, I mean, come on. What, what else you got to do right now? Seriously, let's just, you know, help us out here. Be, be a real Paddington. Help us out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if people liked and shared, the world would be right. That's what he says, right? That's what he says all the time. Yeah, that's his uh, motto. <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh, well, now we got to do our picking for next week. And uh, we're going a bit off the family film track into martial arts cinema, which is what we've been talking about doing for a very long time, Adam. Uh, yes. Because you're a really big fan, and I'm a novice. I have not seen much in the way of martial arts, so you'll be my sensei for next week. I, that's, that's scary, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been a fan for as long as I can remember. Absolutely. You have the two good movies for that episode, and I have the two bad movie choices. And mm-hmm. so uh, we each have assigned them a number between 1 and 10. And so usually we pick each other's choices, like a number between 1 and 10, that gets us a good and bad feature. But when we have Emily over here, they have the choice. They decide to, the number between 1 and 10 for our two movies. Oh. So first, for um, two good choices, number between 1 and 10. Cool. Okay, at number two, I have... The Jet Li vehicle, Fist of Legend. Oh, okay. It's a fantastic, fantastic film. Uh, And at number nine, I had the Donnie Yen Ip Man. Okay, yeah, both ones I have not seen. So I'm very curious to see. uh... Fucking shocker. (laughs) Well, now, uh, with my two bad choices, Emily, number two, one and ten. Seven. Okay, I'm so happy we're doing this. We were talking about, uh, you know, really fun, bad movies earlier. Um, at number nine, I have what I argue is one of the best ones. I think Adam's a big fan of this one, too. I have uh, the movie featuring, though not starring, Jean-Claude Van Damme, No Retreat, No Surrender. Yes! <laughs> yes! It's one of the greatest bad movies ever. Oh, thank you. It's going to be great. It'll be a lot of fun, yes. Uh, And then at number three, I had Never Back Down from 2007. Oh, God. The fucking mixed martial arts movie? Yep. Yep. With the Twilight guy and John McConsu? Oh, good lord. (laughs) Why? What the fuck? It's it's a bad choice. Does that fit the criteria, Your Honor? Oh, God, no, that more than fits. I rest my case, Your Honor. (laughs) I am so glad that we didn't get that. Oh, Jesus. Well, um, Well, that was the cat in the hat of your choices. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Well, on that note, uh, it's time to have a fun, whimsical adventure with some sort of furry creature. 
right? That's what we do at the end of the episode. <laughs> like like the sexual fetish? No. No, that's not oh. what I'm implying. Like Paddington or Cat in the Hat, whichever. Oh, okay. Well, Cat in the Hat might be the sexual fetish, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows yeah. at this point, yeah. Good night, everybody. <laughs> has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.